0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Tuesday, August 25th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. and On today's Consumer Goods Show, we're going to talk about the latest quarter for the Amazon of Africa, Jumia. We're going to talk about Disney and Target tying up uh, a little bit there on the storefront. And we're going to go into a little bit more about what the Disney streaming services may hold for consumers. Um, As always, we will have one to watch for you for the coming week. And as we get started here, I'd like to uh, thank Mr. Joey Salitro from Motley Fool Canada for joining me in the studio today. Joey, how's it going?
1: It's going great. Thanks for having me.
0: Good. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, we really, I was excited to get you in here for this week's show because the first uh, topic for discussion today is a company that you follow closely. You've been following it for a while. Uh, you talked about it here on the show a number of months ago. And we wanted to go a little bit deeper into it this week because Jamia uh, just reported earnings recently and the stock. You know, it's been a little bit of a a tough go uh, as a public company for Jamia this far. Um, You know, and I've I've talked with you a lot about this company. It sounds exciting. It sounds like there's a tremendous opportunity out there. Sometimes, you know, the stock is a little bit detached from that opportunity, maybe. And so you you gotta be able to look a little bit further down the line here. But given what you know today, going through the most recent quarter and seeing where the stock is today, do you feel like this is more of a geography thing? The market maybe needing to take that leap of faith and it's not ready to take that leap yet, or is this more of a business thing? Is 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 Jamea running into some business problems that they're gonna have to fix?
1: you know with with jumia as for the earnings reports i mean we saw gross merchandise volume jump over 60% revenue followed it over 50% so when you look at the gmv volume active consumers jumping 50% year over year the key metrics are moving in the right direction yes they're losing more money but i feel like a lot of what they're doing and their success years out from now will be consumers trusting the e-commerce process a lot more cuz right now it's a lot of We don't even think about, when we buy something online, we know it's going to get to us. We know that, hey, if it doesn't, we can get our money back. But they don't really have that in Africa. They like the cash-on delivery. They don't want their money to leave unless that good is physically in their hands. So, I think it's a lot of distrust about the process, especially on the payment side. So, as that continues to get more popular, and people can trust that, I feel like this company that's kind of where the success will lay.
0: I think that makes sense. I mean, it makes me think of the um yeah, back back many many years ago when David Gardner had recommended Amazon um here at the Fool. And back when internet when e-commerce was just becoming a thing and I mean, all of the skeptics out there were like there is no way anybody's going to put their credit card number on a website blindly and and just give it away and let someone just promise they're going to ship them something and then who knows what's going to happen. Uh, you know, you fast forward to today, and obviously that's the only way business seems to be done. Um, so I, I think you're right in that it's a market that's not used to that yet. It does take some getting used to it, it takes a little bit of faith to believe that that process is going to work out. Africa, clearly, an economy that is somewhat behind ours, developmentally speaking, but it doesn't mean it can't. Um, get to where we are today. And, and maybe this is one of those steps that will really help them get there. Um, so, so to your point, I mean, it seems like the gross merchandise volume going through that network, that I mean, that's a tremendous sign, right?
1: I would say so. So, I mean, what Jumia reminds me of is kind of like, or Africa in general reminds me of China in the late 80s and 90s. Yeah. So, same with the situation in China back then, less than 1% of total retail sales are done online, in Africa right now. So, where China got over that hump, and I think that had a lot to do with the rise of companies like Alibaba and JD.com, and and people trusting those names and, and trusting the payment side of that as well, I feel like if Jumia can establish itself and establish not only its website, but Jumia Pay as the trusted place to go and actually have their payment information stored, and be okay with paying for that up front. I feel like that's that's kind of the driver for them.
0: So, I mean, trust sounds like a big factor in the equation today. Let's think five years down the line here. I mean, in, in, I mean, we could think ten years down the line if you want. I mean, but the basic idea here is five years from now, ten years from now, Jamia is succeeding. It's doing well. It's gaining traction. What's going right? What's been the key for that? Why is it succeeding?
1: I think as their economy continues to grow, I think as more people come into the working class and as that trust grows for the actual online process, I feel like they're going to be opening more distribution facilities, expanding to more countries. And especially, I think Jumia pays in six countries now and they operate in total in 13 or 14 countries. So, expanding it to the rest of those countries. And I think not even expanding its capabilities online, but I mean, I always go back to that trust factor. So where yeah. we we don't even second guess when we purchase something online, but there, I mean, you got to think they're not as connected as we are, where we can track a package so easily, know exactly when it's going to be delivered and by who. They don't even have where you can in in most of their cities, you can't even deliver it to a specific address because yeah. they don't have addresses and mailboxes like we do here. It might be that they have to go to a specific drop-off point and actually pick up their package from there. So. I think infrastructure will be a huge thing, and luckily, there's a lot of companies investing in in infrastructure over in Africa. So, if it were to fail, I believe they just weren't able to get over those humps, and they weren't able to educate the consumers enough to trust the process, and investors just were not willing to put more money into this company, since they do burn quite a bit of cash, and they're likely going to need to raise more capital down the line. And it might come to a point where companies just or companies and investors just don't want to do that.
0: It takes a long view. I mean, I your point about you know, some areas where you can't you know, it's not gonna be delivered to your House, I mean, you had to go pick it up from a, a, you know, fulfillment's underwear. I mean, like when we were in Costa Rica this summer, our family uh, in Amazon, very much the same situation there. I mean, in most cases, like Amazon was going to be shipped to a central location and then you would have to make your way to get it. Um, now, if you've driven around Costa Rica, I mean, it's very spread out and some places you got to go up mountains to get to. So I understand why it's Amazon kind of like package. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's understandable why Amazon package can't make it to every doorstep. But the investment in that infrastructure will continue to take place. You'll see Amazon lockers all over the place. Um, And and so, yeah, that's definitely a solution there. It does sound like it's just the ultimate long term uh, view, though. I mean, you got to be able to look at this thing and say, you know what? It's going to take five to 10 years for this thing to to really work out. But I mean, hey, there could be some real potential upside there.
1: Yeah, I think best case scenario, you see this playing out in five years. I'm more of, yeah, I'm looking 10 years, 25 years out. And this is kind of like finding the Mercado Libre or Amazon in its infancy. So,
0: is there a Pepsi to their Coke? I mean, you no, know, we always try to talk about that competitor out there that's going to force their hand and keep them, you know, keep them innovating. But is there another company doing what Jimmy is doing in in that market? I know there's
1: one player like within Egypt, yeah. and I think there's other like single country players, but there's no other player, at least that I've come across, that's in several countries, especially with their reach.
0: Got to go big. You got to go big early. I mean, that, that we've seen it when it. When you have leadership that knows what they're doing and they stick with the plan, it can work. It just takes some time to do so. I guess we'll have to remain patient, but we'll certainly uh, keep listeners updated with Jamia here, quarter in and quarter out. And thankfully, we've got Joey here covering the business for us. Uh, let's pivot over to something a little bit more magical, a little bit more happy. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about Disney these days. We've seen a lot of news in regard to uh, what's coming out on the streaming front for Disney. We're going to talk a little bit about that but also wanted to talk uh, for a minute about what Disney and Target are getting ready to do together. If you read through a Target press release here, uh, then you'll see that, essentially, you're going to start seeing Disney stores in Target. It's going to essentially be a shop in a shop location. And it's going to start out with 25 select Target stores in October, 40 more opening by October 2020. Uh, And I mean, this is going to be something where Target is essentially integrating more of that Disney experience into their stores. And whether it's going to be uh, places where you can go see all of the latest Disney toys, there are going to be certainly some exclusive toys in those areas where you won't be able to get them elsewhere. Uh, you'll be able to go see movie clips and whatnot. I mean, it, it does really sound like they're bringing a little bit of that Disney interactive experience into the target you know, footprint there in, in the actual physical store. And we've been talking so much here over the past several years about the death of physical retail, but clearly there are some companies still prospering, and Target's Target certainly one of them.
1: Target is the go-to in my household. Yeah. So, I mean, you got the happiest place on earth opening a store <laughs> within the greatest store on earth, <laughs> and I got to say, as a father of two daughters and a son on the way, I'm against this against in every <laughs> single way because
0: either that or you better ask for a raise.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what it comes down to. I mean. If Target didn't take enough of our money as it is, now yeah. you're going to open up a Disney shop. Mm-hmm. It's going to be impossible to tear the kids out of that store.
0: Well, you know, I was thinking about this too. It's, 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 I mean, I'm father of two daughters now. My girls are a little bit older than your kids at this point, but I do remember when they were a lot younger, and it seemed like there was a birthday party every weekend. And in most cases, we were going to Target to grab that birthday present last second. Um, and and I did find after a while the toy section became a little bit wanting because it didn't really have a whole heck of a lot of any one thing. It was just kind of scattered, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I have to believe that this is going to change that dynamic for the better. I mean, Disney's always been very strong from a consumer goods perspective. And you would see a Disney store at the mall, I mean, obviously they sell that stuff all over their parks. But but I think, you know, to bring this store into um Target, which is clearly doing well here domestically. I mean, I don't think we're at a position where Target is going uh, to, to be going away anytime soon. I, it feels like, to me, it's getting stronger. I feel like I feel like this just makes it even stronger. And for Disney, really, I mean, I don't see any downside for Disney doing this, do you?
1: No, definitely not. And what kind of gets me excited about this partnership is, Disney's very good at you know making the most out of small spaces. Yeah. So you think you go to their parks, some of the stores are very small, but they're pumping thousands if not millions of people through there each day. So I can only imagine what they're going to do with a couple hundred square feet. I don't know how big these stores are um, going to be at this Target. I know there's one like an hour and 10 minutes from my house that I was actually <laughs> wanting to actually go see uh, cuz it's one of the 25 stores I think it's Leesburg, Virginia.
0: Oh yeah. But yeah. uh
1: I mean, yeah, it It's definitely going to be exciting to see. And I've had the same experience with the different toy sections of Target. It's kind of scattered all over the place. I feel like Disney is going to be pulling in all of their specific brands that were already within Target and making more of an experience within a Target store.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about it a lot with these physical retailers. I mean, the key is driving traffic, figuring out any way that you can drive traffic because there are those big fixed expenses that that come with running a store. You pay that rent no matter what. You pay for the store to be open no matter what. Um, So, the more traffic you can push through those stores, then the more profitability you're going to see. right? You start to see some of that operating leverage play out. And we see, quarter in and quarter out, with Disney itself from the park side, they're really good at, at at demonstrating the power of that operating leverage because the parks are the same thing essentially as a retail store. You got to pay a lot of money to keep them open, so they want to drive as many people through there as they can. This seems like a great bet on engagement. I have to believe. Um, I mean, there's going to be some word of mouth, and people are going to say, you know what, that's pretty cool. They're going to go back. Maybe even if it's a rainy day and you're looking for something to take the kids to go do for a few minutes, that gets them out of the house. Uh, I could certainly see it spreading beyond just the, the 60 stores, I guess they're talking about here, um, and getting this thing started. That takes us into the other uh, story here with, with Disney that to me is is just, it seems like every day it's just becoming more and more impressive what they're doing on this um, streaming frontier, because with Disney Plus, uh, getting ready to hit the market here. November twelfth, Disney Plus streaming service is going to become available for consumers, and they're, they're going to charge six ninety nine a month just for the Disney Plus. Now, if you do the bundle of Disney Plus and ESPN Plus and Hulu ad supported, you get that for like twelve ninety nine. Which again, to me, that bundle sounds like a no brainer. But given what we saw here recently at the D twenty three Expo with all of the content that they rolled out, I mean it it. My Twitter feed didn't stop for, like, the whole day. It was something else. And my daughters were pinging me about cool stuff that's coming out. I'm looking at some stuff that's coming out, like The Mandalorian. I'm looking forward to seeing that. what struck me with, I, I mean, I, I want just a tip of the cap to the executive that came up with the idea of letting people go ahead and sign up in advance for the service at this D twenty three Expo because apparently that drove a lot of people uh, to go ahead and sign up for the streaming service that doesn't even exist yet or isn't even live yet.
1: Yeah, had they let us sign up the day it was announced, my family would have been signed up. <laughs> I mean, the price point alone is just a no brainer for any parent. So yeah. I've got an almost four year old, an almost two year old, and a son being born in January. So, I will likely be a customer of this Disney streaming service for the next at least 12, 15 years. I don't know how how long they're watching it these days. But on top of that, the content they even have for adults with the Marvel Universe, I mean, this is going to be a major player almost overnight.
0: Yeah. I mean, my girls are um, 13 and 14, and they're even still kind of excited about the stuff that's coming out. Um, So, I I, I do think that the the content They've done a good job of giving giving a little bit of something for everyone there. Um, you know, one thing you, you mentioned, and I wanted to dig into this a little bit because I I don't know in regard to the Marvel universe, the superhero universe, and all that content that has done so well for Disney for so long, and not only Disney, but really if you think about a lot of this Marvel content, um, I mean. Disney's one of the first names that comes to mind, but really, so is Netflix, because Netflix, for a long time, really has capitalized on bringing a lot of that content into their universe. Um, and, and it seemed to me, at least, that's what Netflix was really known well for, was having a lot of that cool superhero content and Marvel stuff that people really enjoyed. Um, I mean, essentially, all of that content is going to be disappearing. I mean, it's not going to happen, I guess, all overnight. but. That's stuff that Netflix isn't going to get back, and and you know we we talked about this before, like the challenges that Netflix may witness from something like this, and it's not just Netflix. I mean, other streaming services, of course, but I think Netflix is in a, a little bit of a unique situation there because they've been paying an arm and a leg for a lot of content, and I'm not sure how much farther they can raise prices. What do you think about their competitive position today in, in relation to what Disney's getting ready to launch?
1: Yeah, Netflix. They definitely have. Problems ahead of them. I think they're going to have to develop a lot more original content. I remember yeah. when I first signed up, they had House of Cards as a go-to. Orange is the New Black got pretty popular, but I mean, The Office is still probably what we watch the most. So yeah. I mean, with them losing specific brands, losing these this Marvel universe of uh, of films, I, I feel like Netflix is definitely going to have to put out more movies like Bird Box or these these one-offs. But that was the other angle I was thinking that Disney could take. If they take one of these Marvel movies that grosses a billion dollars and say, hey, we're going to release exclusively onto Disney+, Plus," imagine, they'd have a couple hundred million people signing up overnight just to see the release of that film. So, if any company can launch into streaming and be an overnight success, my money's on Disney.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they've proven time and time again they are masters of taking one story and then spinning a lot of other stories from that story. And I mean, I, I just, I mean, I, I expect them to keep doing that. And I mean, you gotta love this opening price point at six ninety nine. It's it's way underpriced. It's tremendous value. I mean, I, I just would argue that until until the cows come home. But that's gonna give them a lot of room to raise prices down the road.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I thought that this was going to be more like 1999 or 15 something <laughs> yeah. like that. So, when they announced 6 I thought it was a typo. Like yeah. They forgot a one in front of the six. <laughs> so, that's when I labeled this like an absolute no-brainer for any parent to be signing up on this. And they could easily raise prices. I mean, you look at how often they raise ticket prices at their parks. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I have to almost take out a second mortgage to take the family. <laughs> uh, as you know, I lived in Florida for a long time. So, I mean, that's one expense that got cut when I moved up here to Virginia. Sure. But I can only imagine, with how they like to raise prices, how they'll handle their Disney Plus streaming. But I, I saw how, or you had mentioned to me, where you were able to lock in a three year mm-hmm. pay up front. So I mean, hey, dear Disney, please offer a 10 year plan. Let me get that. <laughs> Give me a discount. Lock me in long term. And uh, they're
0: astute business people there. I'm sure they probably <laughs> kicked that idea around. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I Like I said, I mean, I I think we'll be watching some of that stuff even long after our kids leave the house. Again, it seems like they're using this Disney Plus platform as as a way to get content for for adults and kids and everywhere in between. I mean, that's that's the most encouraging thing. And so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch how this uh, plays out. And and I, I have to believe at some point somewhere. Bob Iger was sitting in that boardroom thinking, yeah, we're gonna price this thing at six ninety-nine. And we're just gonna watch I wanna see if Reed Hastings wants to squirm a little bit with this price point. Because I mean I think even he knows that it's getting more competitive, and I mean, it's certainly not to take anything away from from Reed Hastings and Netflix, because I, and again, I think that's one of the core streaming platforms that everyone's going to continue to have. I mean, it just it makes you wonder how much they can raise prices and what they're going to do on the content side. And hey, it's not to say that down the road you won't see collaboration from those two powerhouses either, because I mean, in a lot of cases, whether it's you know Disney teaming up with Target, or whether it's uh, you know Disney teaming up with toy makers, I mean. You know it's it's always nice to see two powerhouse companies partner together, and we've seen great results from Disney and Netflix partnering before. It's not to say that can't happen again, but this is gonna be a fun one to watch uh, to watch play out. Um, before we wrap up here, let's just jump in real quick to a couple of stocks to keep on our listeners' radars this week. We got ones to watch for you, Joey, what's the stock you were watching this week?
1: You know, I've been watching Pinterest lately. Yeah, they had a fantastic earnings report. They had a over sixty percent jump in revenue. Monthly active users hit 300 million, which was a 30% increase year over year, and the average revenue per user is still less than a dollar globally. Wow. So I feel like, with the the growing number of monthly active users, mm. and how people that use Pinterest actually have an intention to make a purchase, yeah. is where advertisers are just going to be falling over themselves to increase spend on this platform. And I look at the market cap; I think it's around 20 billion, maybe even under that. I just see a major, major growth runway in front of these guys and a clear path to profitability that this could just be a massive company. So I I had initiated a stake uh, right after they came public, and this is one I'm just really excited about.
0: Cool. And the ticker? P I N S. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Etsy. Um, You know, you and I. Talk about Etsy a lot here at work, and I mean it's becoming, I think, a stock a lot of our analyst team is really becoming fond of, and for a lot of good reasons. I mean, uh, talk about uh, earnings reports that were really impressive. The second quarter earnings report came out for Etsy. It was. Uh, Another good one. I mean, active sellers grew to over 2.3 million, active buyers better than 42.7 million. Um, The network pushed through almost $1.1 billion in gross merchandise sales, Uh, revenue up 37%, earnings per share continue to grow, gross margin was up. Um, I mean, this is a company that's really just identified a niche. In that craft market, and it's become the go-to trusted network in that market. I mean, that's really what the business is: it's a network connecting buyers and sellers for craft goods. Um, so it maintains a fairly, you know, light balance sheet, which is nice. Um, and to top it off, you got a leader or a CEO in Josh Silverman who just is so forward-thinking. Um, and so in touch with, I think the retail space. He has some, he has he has a perspective there on the retail space that I don't think a lot of others really um, have. And I think that's really that's really benefited the business. And um, it's one I personally own. I added a few more shares after this most recent uh, earnings report, and we'll continue to dig into it here. Ticker there is ETSY. So Pinterest and Etsy guys, keep eyes out on those stocks this week and beyond. Joey Solitro, thanks for joining us this week. thanks for having me. OK. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Joey Solitro, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.